before Ray comes to speak, I have another prayer request. Uh, tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock, uh, we're having a breakfast meeting with some of the businessmen in town. Uh, we have a project uh, that we are uh, trying to get uh, going, and it's uh, building a spec house as a fundraiser for Children's Camps International in our town. So we, if you uh, would be so kind as to remember us in prayers, we have that meeting tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. And uh, I don't know what the involvement will be from the from us as a church, but uh, see what happens. And I, I think uh, the guy that's coming out tomorrow is Marvin Lechman. Yeah, Marvin Lechman. Marvin Lechman will come out for Children's Camps International to be with us at the breakfast. Yeah. So, okay. We'll right on. Well, it's. Uh... It's really good to be here this morning. It's been uh, several years since I've uh, been in this congregation. Um, I've, um, uh, or, or my assistant at that time, Steve Zacharias, I think was back here a year or two years ago, and he shared with you about the ministry. And uh, But it's good for me to be able to come back here and just to uh, share some words about the ministry, but have a message for you this morning. Uh, so much has happened, including Steve Zacharias, after 18 years, uh, he moved on and took a pastor position in this community of Winkler. Uh, Steve was with me for uh, nine years at Winkler Bible Camp, and I was the director there, and then for another eight years or nine years at uh, Children's Camps International. So a big gap, and yet God has uh, brought uh, several other people to take his place, and so we see God moving his ministry and his work forward. I'll give you a very quick overview of the CCI, Children's Camps International. Started in 2003, five churches, uh, 23 staff, and we had about 100 and, uh, or 507 children. And that has now grown to where we're working over 2,500 churches in eight different countries. And uh, God has just been so gracious, so good. And um, we're seeing doors open that we never imagined. And this last year alone, 200,000 kids, just over 200,000 kids already have heard the good news of Jesus Christ and have been set free. Cumulatively, since their time, that time we started in 2003, uh, 1.6 million kids have uh, come to camp, and uh, it's a very simple ministry. As a matter of fact, it's, it's embarrassingly simple. Our calling is to help the indigenous church grow. That's what we've been called to do as a ministry. What we do is we come alongside for those churches that are interested in having us involved, and we would train the young people in their congregations. And uh, those young people would then reach out to the four or five blocks within the village or within the community, reach four or five blocks from where the church is planted, and would invite the kids to come to a summer camp experience. At the camp, they build a relationship. They model Christ. They teach the, the scriptures, values and scriptures, and the principles in scripture. These children then are followed up the entire year with these same young people that are investing in their lives, and these young people then would go back, these children would then go back to their homes and invite their parents to come to the church. The, the children are the key to the parents' heart. And the parents respond in an amazing way once you love and care for their kids. It's very obvious now, me as a grandparent now, I see that when my grandchildren are at a, at a Christmas program or a different thing, a sporting event, I will do what I possibly can to be there because they're my grandchildren. And for parents that have kids that have been at camp, uh, when they invite their parents to come off to a church function or a, a follow-up camp function, those parents are going to be there. And so it's exciting to see that this is an incredibly uh, easy, simple way 
of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Pretty well all the kids at one time, either during the camp time or during the follow-up time, would make a commitment to Christ. They understand who he is. Then they grow in that relationship. As you obviously know with children, it's absolutely top priority that they get followed up, that they're discipleship. So they come to know and understand. One young lady, who was about 14 at that time, when she came to the camp, she began to see and understand that she had value. She came from a village in India, the untouchables. All her entire life, 14 years, she was treated as if she was lower than animals, untouchables. And that's still going on. Officially, the caste system is not supposed to be in India, but it is alive and well. It is sick. It's sad. And she saw herself as an untouchable. And when she finally started realizing, understanding she had value, that God saw her that way, that the people in the church saw her that way, then she came to the realization that God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, she had a relationship with his daughter. And so she went to the pastor, and she says, if he's the king, does that make me a princess? She got it. She got it. We've got to see ourselves that way too. We are serving this incredible, this awesome God. As Henry mentioned, uh, we are going to be back tomorrow morning. Going to be back tomorrow morning here, having breakfast with some tradespeople, some um, people in construction here in, uh, in Killarney, just to see if it's possible. We've done 45 building projects here in Canada, raising money uh, for the ministry. Uh, we've also done, as maybe some of you remember, we've done harvest projects. Uh, we've done. We right now do about eight or nine in Saskatchewan and one here in Boisvain, where we raise money. But the thing that has brought us a lot of awareness is the big harvest where we did, uh, in 2006, we did 105 combines in the Winkler area. And then 2010, we did 200 combines on the field. And of course, uh, the Saskatchewan boys with their competitive spirit had to blow us out of the water. It was our staff that put it on, that we were out there and we're watching this. It was just an incredible sight, 244 official Guinness World Record. But I always keep saying, you know, it's records come and records go except one one that stays forever. It's the record, the Lamb's Book of Life. That's the one that matters. And so what we're doing is raising an awareness so that people hear about it. And the symbolism is that the harvest is in true, in, in depth, incredibly plentiful. It's out there. It's waiting. And we're finding workers, workers equipping and, and, and sending workers into the field. And we want to see that the symbolism of this harvest, of all of us, part of the body of Christ, would get together and do the part that he's called us to do we would see that incredible harvest all around us here, the spiritual harvest, the most important harvest. So the symbolism is there, and we get to share that all over the place. Millions of people have seen the video of those harvests, those combines on that field. And I'd love nothing more to see the, the body of Christ rally to the charge, come alongside each other, do exactly what God individually, collectively, denominationally, everybody find out what is it that God's asking you to do and then to go busy being, doing that and seeing what God would, ha- what would happen. My verses that I've taken to, uh, almost my theme verses, verses I'd like to share pretty well everywhere I go, it revolves around that because I do know that, um, as was mentioned before, big things. It's only God can do those things. And we're limited and we often see things as impossible. But we have a God who goes way beyond that. So the verses I shared, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, he said, or the, the prophet says, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. And then the prayer is, do them again in our time. 
And so that is my prayer, that, that we would be submissive to his purpose, his will for our lives. That we'd be so humble and so dependent on him that he would be feel that he would want to work in and through us, that he would do the work. It's not us working for him, but him doing the work through us as we submit and surrender to him. He can do more in a heartbeat than we can in a lifetime. And so we need to focus on that being our priority. Through the building projects, we've seen, like I say, 45 projects. We have seen people with their gifts and their talents and their passion and their interest contribute to these projects in a house, an average house that we would build and just sell on the open market would generate between eighty and possibly up to $120,000. And for, sending, for $5 to send a child to camp, that's a lot of kids from one project. And so we're trying to find creative ways of people bringing their skills and talents to the, uh, to the cause and then inspiring them and getting them excited about how they can get involved with how God has gifted, gifted them and given them talents. Everybody can do something. Not even a question. In uh, my message this morning, you know, it's, as, you get, um, as you get older and mature in, you know, in life, you start seeing things a little bit different. I recall uh, going to Bible school, just became a Christian, brand new Christian. Uh, went to Bible school my first year, and I really wasn't ready for what they were teaching. And I remember walking into the one classroom, and it was in the Old Testament, and uh, just an incredible teacher. I was a terrible student. He was so passionate about the Pentateuch. And I'm thinking, like, what is wrong with this guy? How does he, like, how can he be so incredibly excited about this? The first five books of the Bible. I mean, you start reading that. I mean, there's, there's good. Now, when I look at a perspective, there's amazing things in every part of Scripture. But as a brand new Christian, I was not ready for that. And I couldn't quite figure out, is there something wrong with this man, or is he seeing something I didn't see? And so even this morning, when you took a, take a look at the book of Haggai, and you're thinking, is there something wrong with this older guy? Because what does he see that I may be not seeing? But I do trust that there's a message in, and I start seeing God speaking to me in incredible ways through his word, And then sometimes he speaks to me in an incredible way through experiences that I go through. And when I see young parents here, I say, God will teach you lessons and speak to you through your children and now through my grandchildren. And you'll see and understand things that you never could have imagined. My son and daughter-in-law live in Brandon. About 10 weeks ago, they had a baby. And we were just out there a few days ago, and I asked my son... And he loves the Lord. They serve the Lord. Uh, they worked at when, they're in, in, when he was in, in college. He was leading the Bible studies with the, uh, with the students at Brandon University. And I asked him the question. I says, Cody, do you realize now how much your Heavenly Father loves you? And he looked down at his little daughter. He says, I get it. I get it. Not completely, but I get it. And that's what I've experienced in my life, and I've shared so many experiences I've gone through that I can now see from a little better from God's perspective. And his love for us is absolutely unconditional. But how often, how easy we can forget that. Haggai the prophet, as the children of Israel were 50 years, approximately 50 years in captivity, and then through a miraculous way they were released, they were let go. 
And they went back. Initially, they were grateful. They were excited about what had happened. They're thankful for God, what was happening. And they began to build his house. And then they got busy with the routine of life, the normal things in life. I've been on mission trips. I've been different countries, different places. And I come back, and I am so absolutely fired up and so terribly excited. I just couldn't think of anything else but being so 100% yielded, making Christ first in absolutely everything I do. And then the cares of life kick in. And when I'm looking at this scripture, first of all, I know that it speaks to me. And as it speaks to me, that I trust there's something that I have gleaned out of this, that as I share it with you, that it also perhaps will speak to you. Out of the book of Haggai, there's two very specific things that came and it hit me and it hit me so hard. And the one says, in verse 5, it says, give careful thought. I'm going to be turning 59 in a couple of weeks. Where did the time go? Boom! Almost 60 years old. Where did the time go? I've started making sure that I discipline myself to do exactly that, to give careful thought, to evaluate, to look back so that I can learn the lessons that God has for me to learn so that I can apply them in the future, to use them as a way of understanding and seeing that God is Good, as was said before, God is good in spite of the things we don't, the circumstances, situation we don't understand. We don't realize that, that there's things behind the scenes that we don't have, we don't see. But we have to come to the conclusion that God is absolutely good and that He's good all the time, no matter what. We also have to come to the conclusion that God cares very much very deeply about every single aspect of our lives. And he understands. He understands. Our situation maybe here will be somewhat unique. All of us going on a journey through different things. Sometimes there's pain in life and we don't understand it. And we go through things and we can't wrap our minds around it and then we start saying maybe our circumstances maybe God isn't good or maybe God doesn't care maybe God isn't in control when our son was five years old took a trip to the dentist and uh, I think when you say the word dentist some of you have cringe experiences and after today they might be even worse I was in a waiting room and my wife Dorothy um, was in with Cody and um, it, with the dentist, and all of a sudden I heard loud screaming. And uh, the nurse came out and asked me to come into the, into the uh, dentist's office. And there was my son, and he had a wisdom tooth that was going to be pulled. And as he was supposed to be pulled, uh, it, it broke off. And the freezing didn't take. It had disappeared. And the dentist looked at me and said, we got to finish this. And I looked into my son's eyes, and he was screaming. And I reached out my hand, and I took his hand. 
and a peace came over him. A part of me in my heart says, I would do anything as his dad to go into that chair and I would take that pain for him at a heartbeat, absolutely, instantly be there so that he wouldn't have to go through it. But there was something that had to happen that he had to go through. And as he took my hand, something happened. Quietly, I was obviously praying. But a peace came over him and the dentist was able to complete that. He went through this pain. And it was for a moment In the grand scheme of things, him now being almost 27 years old, it's just a blip on the radar. It seemed like the biggest thing that he could ever experience, that he could ever go through, and it's just now, in hindsight, a blip on the radar. I am convinced that someday when we are in glory and we're going to look back at those incredibly difficult, painful, absolutely almost unbearable experiences here on this earth, we're going to look back from there, we're going to say, oh... That needed to happen. It was, it was such a small thing, but at that time it was so big. The things that you're going through day after day after day, some of them may seem unbearable. And I started to realize that when you're speaking to a congregation, everybody's in a different place. And some people are at this moment on the mountaintop and they're celebrating and rejoicing and life is good. But that can change tomorrow. And some people are going through a valley, and it's tough. They've lost loved ones, or some loved one is going through hurt and pain. And it can be so very, very difficult. But as was said, give careful thought. The conclusion is God is good. He loves you. There's a reason for it. We don't understand. He will walk through that with you. He hasn't promised to make life easy. But he's promised to walk through that, in the, walk with us through the midst of that. Give careful thought. Every year, towards the new year, Dorothy and I would sit down and we'd say, uh, What's next? Lord, what's next? And I look back at the chapters in life, and from the time I made a commitment to Christ. First 10 years of character development, working 11 years with, um, I guess, 11 years of my, my, after I got saved, working with juvenile delinquents was a time where God had to grind away character. Some very, very, very hard times. House parents for between four and six young offenders. Uh, Dorothy was 20 uh, years old and I was uh, 24, and we did that for 11 years. What an incredible journey. And we saw spiritual warfare firsthand. It didn't just happen in India or Africa. It happened right here in our home where guys had serious demonic problems. And we saw God intervene in supernatural ways and God became so real to us. And we started realizing that no matter what we're experiencing today, there is another world out there and that God is sovereign. And that message, more than anything else, I would like to drive home today that God is sovereign. He is in control. That nothing can happen unless he permits it to happen, allows it to happen, and sometimes causes it to happen for reasons that we don't understand. Give careful thought. After 11 years of doing that, I couldn't imagine the possibility of where else could we have more impact or influence for Christ. And then God, through in a very unique way, and I won't go into details, calls us to be at Winkler Bible Camp, and was just absolutely, totally, so far out of my league, I had no clue 
what in the world is going on. And yet I do know that God can run a camp better than any human can run a camp. And so we desperately cried out to help for, for, to him for help. And God intervened and we saw things just grow incredibly much. And as we started thinking, now we've got this solved and this figured out, then we had another journey to take. And that was when a young man came from India. And he came to Winkle Bible Camp as a counselor at 22 years of age. And saw a radiant love reflection of Christ like I'd never seen. Or hardly ever seen. I guess maybe it's not true. There's other people that I see it in. Where they're so in love with Jesus that they put him first in everything. But this young man, 22-year-old man, was so incredibly excited about his relationship with Jesus Christ. And as things began down that journey, and I shared a little bit with you a number of years ago, and probably most of you forgot, but that's how it started, where these camps started overseas. So in 2005, after 10 years of Wink Bible Camp, I found it so very, very hard, because it, things were going so well, I did not want to leave, and it was a time of wrestling. And that's the second part that I want to bring into this message. This message there, it says, On that day. Six different times in the book of Haggai, it says, on that day. And I do know God speaks every single day and probably every moment of our lives. He's trying to speak to us in different ways. I don't hear his audible voice, but I do know there is times he has spoken to me so absolutely clearly, undeniably clearly. And it often happens very specifically in a specific time. And perhaps maybe today, one or two or few of you may hear God speaking to you that there's something in your life that he wants to do. That he wants to change. And he loves you enough that he will not leave you the way you are. That he will continue to change you so that you will reflect Christ more clearly to your neighbors, your co-workers, your friends, to your family. Every single day, God wants to make slight adjustments in your life to move you one step closer to who he is, to his character, to look more like him. Every single day. Often we are busy, and we don't make those decisions. I've had a number of those profound experiences, which I cannot even understand. But they happen to me, and I look back and I say, that is the day I made a decision, and it changed my life life. It changed the direction of my life. And it changed my view of who God is. And it changed my view of who people are. There's some things as God continues to grind at it. Most of time it happens incrementally, slowly, slowly, but every once in a while it's like something opens up and you say, I've got this addiction, this issue, this thing in my life I can't get over. And there's one day, somehow, somewhere, sometime, when God speaks into that, you say, enough's enough. And you deal with it. And I remember coming to Christ that way, and I, God had spoken to me a number of times. He'd spoken to me, and he's drawing me, he's drawing me, he's drawing me. And yet I was absolutely convinced that I knew it was best for my life, that there's nobody who's going to tell me how to run my life. And I had this a belief, this false belief, that God, that the Christian life was boring, and that God was going to take me away from the things I wanted to do. The Bible says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. The thing that he does, though, he changes your desires. Because you start seeing things through a different perspective, a different lens. You start realizing, understanding that he created you. He knows every single thing about you. 
and that he knows what's best for you. And he knows what's going to give you peace and joy and purpose in life. We often get it wrong. And I know for the first 22 years of my life, I had it completely wrong. I had this idea of what my life was supposed to look like. What I would, what, what, would accomplish and do in life that would bring me that, that absolute happiness. Life would be good. But at age 22, I realized the journey that I had gone on had taken me down to a path where life really wasn't worth living. It was empty. It was lonely. It was self-centered. It was all about me. And then I began to realize that God had a purpose and a plan for my life. Ephesians 2 and 10, and you all know that verse. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. You have an assignment here on this earth. I am absolutely convinced of it. God has something for you to do. There's things that you can do that others can't. There's relationships that you have here in this community that you have that others don't. God can work in and through that to touch lives right here, right now. My encouragement to each one of you is to stop, to give careful thought. Find out what it is that he wants you to do. And then when you think of, in Ephesians chapter 1, it says that his incredibly great power that he used to raise Jesus from the dead is available to every single believer, not to do the things that they want to do, but to fulfill the purposes that he has for your life. Everything he wants you to do, he will empower you to do, he will do through you, if we surrender to him And allow him to do that. So we are the ones that often get in the way. Most often get in the way. He chooses to work only as we allow him to. As we depend on him to. Again, now with my grandchild. I got three grandkids now. Uh, Grandson who's eight years old. And uh, just, and, and it, it was kind of hilarious, but it made a very profound point. Um, my son-in-law, he had uh, really rich experiences with his dad because of things they did together. And they got into a few things really, really deeply together. And so my son-in-law was determined to do that with his son, my grandson. And he was going to find a few really key things that they could do together so they'd have that father-son relationship, which is just so cool. And it's just great for a parent or grandparent to see that, that this value that they have on the kids and the grandkids and to see the peace in their, in their lives. And so what my, grandson, my, my son-in-law did is he took my grandson to a Star Wars movie. Now, to be honest with you, I've never, in my life, there's, there's a bunch out there, I'm not five, six, seven, I'm not sure how many Star Wars movies, I've never watched one. Um, I've actually never watched a sitcom either, there's, they're, they're all over, um, I just don't take time for that. But my son-in-law, he had some, such good experience in this few things, and he got into Star Wars big time, and so he wanted to take his son, eight years old, to the Star Wars movie. And so he takes him to this Star Wars movie, and when my grandson comes to visit me, and his eyes, like they always do, when he comes in that door, his eyes are just instantly on me. 
and I know he's got a lot of stories to tell me. He is so terribly excited, and he is just zoned in, and I can't, I can't leave his eyes. And he walks right up to me, and he starts talking. And he tells me stuff, and I have no clue what he's talking about. And he's going on, he's going on, he's going on, he's going on. And I, yeah, oh, that's all. I just got all excited, but I have no, no idea what he's saying. It was about two weeks later, maybe three weeks later, after he'd seen that movie. And so they had now rented a movie, an older movie, Star Wars movie. And here is a movie that Hollywood had spent $200 million to produce. And there's this scene where apparently they do lightsabers back and forth. Because you know, almost anything when, when your children turns into something, lightsabers or whatever. And so, you know, he's, he's cutting me down to my size and stuff like that. But here he's watching this movie. And he's looking at these guys. And all of a sudden he yells and shouts. He says, those guys stole my move. <laughs> this little eight-year-old was convinced that these guys on the screen, obviously spending $200 million doing this movie, that these guys had somehow copied his move. And they were convinced that they're doing that. But you know how ludicrous that is? They didn't copy his move. Sometimes when we see things happening around us, supernaturally, somehow we get the idea that we did it. No, no, it's God that does it. God is the one who works in and through us. The things that have eternal value are things that he does in and through us. And so we can't take the credit, we can't take the glory, we've got to give it all to him. Each and every step of the way. We've got to realize that he wants so, he yearns, desperately wants to have this intimate relationship with us, spend time with us, reveal himself to us, reveal himself through us. And when I'm talking about the power that he's, the same power he used to raise Christ from the dead, people can get all into all kinds of these esoteric, these, uh, these spiritual gifts kind of thing. And I said, let's just, Let's not even go there because we get so many denominational differences and different uh, unique perspectives. And I'm saying the one thing we can all agree on is the fruit of the Spirit. The character of Christ right there. That is available. Every one of those fruit is available for every one of us start to finish. Every one of us. If you have been loved by as Christ loved us and you love somebody else... That way, completely, sacrificially, unconditionally, if you love somebody like that, they will be drawn to him. If we have a peace, a peace that this world cannot give and cannot understand, if we have that kind of peace, people will ask, what is it in you that makes you so different? If you're filled with joy, a reflection of what's going on inside of you, if it's out there for people to see, that joy that he gives, beyond, the, even in the midst of the tough stuff, happiness comes and happiness goes, but joy is deeper. On the surface there may be turmoil, but inwardly, deep inwardly, there is joy. And every one of those fruit of the Spirit, with the same power that God used there, Christ from the dead, is available to every single one of us. Give careful thought. Perhaps God is speaking to you today. 
Perhaps he's saying something that he wants to change in your life. Perhaps there's a neighbor or a friend or a family member that you need to work with, you need to deal with, whether it's unforgiveness or issues in your life. I don't know. You know. Maybe there's something that he's speaking to you about today. Adjustments that need to be made. I think that as we get older, it becomes harder. But it's not impossible. If our hearts are soft and receptive, he will do it. He will change it if we want him to. But we have to want him to. And then we have to allow him to. I am convinced that we are looking forward to a better day. That day is coming when we will meet him. And life here on this earth is going to look so the things we encounter so insignificant, the hard times, it's going to be worth it all when we see them. As I was traveling back from Alberta with Dorothy, we're driving. Oh, Dorothy's my wife, by the way, just to make sure you know that. <laughs> As we're traveling back from Alberta, I'm just reflecting and talking. And talk about heaven. And I guess one of the reasons, maybe I'll quickly share with you, one of the reasons I think about heaven a little bit more than maybe some of you is that I went through a bout just over five years ago where they did think I had cancer, and they did surgery, took out 80% of my stomach, and for 40 days they told me, we're going to put chemo, it looks like it, and they got me all ready to go. And through hundreds and maybe, I think, thousands of pastors and churches praying, especially in India, uh, after 40 days they realized, they said, pathologists said, we can't find a sign of cancer, couldn't get my stomach back. It was gone. There's a tumor in there, but there's no cancer. So I'm praising the Lord, but I do think about eternity a whole lot more than probably many of you because I know my days are numbered, as are yours. And in the midst of it, as we're reflecting, and that was just a short time after that, what would we like to see when we get to heaven? What, would we, what can we even imagine or fathom would be like when we get to heaven? And so when, when you, it's, there's certain things revealed in Scripture and we can't quite grasp or understand what it's going to be like. And um, so, so we just accept the things that the Bible says, and it's going to be better than we think anyway, so it's just going to be awesome. And I think of the best experience you've ever had here in the face of this earth, it's going to be even better, it's going to be all the time. And that perfect peace and unity that you can have in this uh, incredible place that, that, that we're bound for glory, we're going to be there. That's what we're looking forward to. And it's during my time that I was in the hospital, and it was that evening, that night, when they told me that I had cancer, is I really did some soul-searching. And I went uh, to Colossians chapter 1, and I recognized what it says in Scripture, that he created all these things. And instantly, my mind says, if he did all that, this is nothing. He can choose what he wants to do, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay with going up there, too, because I'm ready, and it's going to be a great and glorious day, but, but, I didn't want to leave the people behind, my family. Friends, you make new ones, but family. I didn't want to leave my family behind. So I made that decision then and there that we're going to make, spend, make spending time with family the highest priority next to my relationship with him. We're going to make sure we can do whatever we can to build into their lives so that they'll have memories of a person who loved and put Christ first all the time. So we wanted to spend time together. And so we made this decision that surgery was in April. I says, we're going to take our family, as soon as I'm healthy enough, 
we're going to take them to the happiest place on earth, Disney World. And uh, our kids had been there. They know it's a real place. We surprised them Christmas time. So we, I went and bought tickets for it, a whole family. There was eight of us at that time, like the, four, the kids and then two grandkids, Dorothy and myself, eight of us. So we bought the tickets, had everything planned, the airline tickets, everything planned. Christmas morning, we had this big box ready for them to unwrap. And it was all, it said it's a gift for everybody at the same time. So they dove in, unwrapped, and there's only a video in there, a video of Disney World. And we showed them we had these tickets. And our children, who were in their early 20s, they could see it. They were excited. And we put the video in from Disney World, and they could see it. They could imagine. They'd been there. They know it's real. But our grandkids at that time, uh, four and, uh, five and three years old, their, their, their little brains could not compute or understand what this was. It was just a video, just a movie. They could not grasp or understand it. But the time came about a month after Christmas where we went down there. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to go in just a little bit ahead of where the grandkids were going to come in. And that I could turn around and I could look at their faces when they walked through the gate and they saw the castle. And I remember our little granddaughter, two, two and a half years old, And she walked through that gate, and she saw the castle. And her eyes got that big. And she said, wow, it's real. (laughs) As we're driving home from Alberta, coming home, I told Dorothy, when I get to heaven, I want to have a little cabin. If the Lord wants me to or is willing to put me a little cabin with a a little deck in the front on a rocking chair by the gate. So I look at your faces. I look at the faces of the kids that have come to know Jesus and they walk through. And to see the look in their eyes. It's real. It's real. Heaven is real. I've arrived. I've arrived. That's my prayer for you. That you'll be so excited about putting Christ first that you want others to have that same experience so that when you get to heaven, that look will be on their face. That it's real. And perhaps they'll come to you and say thank you. But the most important thing, they'll come and say thank you to him. Because he did it. Let's pray. Father, we know that you've got a purpose and a plan here on this earth for every single one of us. Every one of us. It's unique. It's special. We know that all of us have come, are here to glorify you. To reveal you to those around but there's specific things that we can be involved in. Would you show us what that is? And would we have the courage to stop, give careful thought, to listen so that we can hear you telling us what that is? That perhaps today we can say, on this day, I heard from you. And I'm going to go to a neighbor, to a friend, to somebody And I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Father, that we would have the courage. You're going to give us the strength and the power to do that. That we would yet just surrender and submit and have the courage to let you work in and through us. And then we can rejoice and celebrate and give you the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.